Good morning, friends. Good morning. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome one and all to this service of worship. A warm welcome if you're here in our sanctuary and welcome if you are joining us online. It's so great to have everybody here with us in person, virtually. Everybody, we believe that we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit into one worshiping body, no matter where we may be. So welcome one and all today. If you are worshiping with us online, you can, of course, uh, find our, our bulletin for today on the church website. You can download that. You can see all of the different prayers, the liturgy, the music, everything, and you can join us at home as if you were right here in our sanctuary. Please do sign the friendship pad. It's a pad there in your pew, uh, the red pad there. If you're here in person, if you're not here in person, you can sign the online friendship pad, again, on the front page of our website Please do see that and let us know of your presence here with us this morning. If you are visiting with us this morning, a very special word of welcome to you. We know that this is the, a time of year when a lot of people have moved to our community and people are looking at different churches and you're trying to, to think about a church that might be a right fit for you. And uh, we'll be delighted to talk about Germantown Presbyterian Church and, and who we are as a family of faith. And so... Uh, one of the ministers will be down front right here at the end of the service, and we're here to answer any questions you may have. We're here to uh, hear any prayer concerns and anything that you would like for our staff to know. Someone will be right here and delighted to talk to you after the service. And if you're a visitor, then we have these new uh, visitor bags, these bright yellow bags that are hard to miss. And I would be delighted to give this to one of our visitors this morning. It's got the church name and logo on it. Inside is uh, full of all kinds of information, different uh, brochures about many different programs, many different things going on. And so there will be one right here in front of Lanny Oaks this morning. And uh, we'll have that here after the service. And then there's some in the back as well. So please do find our visitor's bags if you're a visitor and learn more about us as a church. It is Communion Sunday today, and so if you came in through the Narthex, um, you would have received a little packet, of course. We're still doing the uh, packets of communion elements, and those were in the back. If you didn't get one of those, then there are plenty back there. You can uh, just slip out and go get one of those if you'd like to celebrate communion with us this morning. If you're at home, then you can also please find uh, elements at home, some kind of a, a bread, a juice, or a wine, and celebrate communion with us at home as we do it here in our sanctuary. We're always grateful for uh, all the different elements of worship that, that edify our, our new sanctuary. I hope you're enjoying the, the new old but new sanctuary as much as I am. And, and again, a word of gratitude for all those who work so hard to, to get us back up and online. This is our third Sunday, fourth Sunday, back in the sanctuary since the flood and the furniture's now back in the parlor and back in all the areas downstairs, so we are, we're back and we're moving forward after our flood from February, but thank you to all those who helped make our worship space so beautiful on a Sunday morning, and that includes the flowers given by Dick and Ellie Goffner this morning. You'll see an announcement in there about that. Thank you to them for that donation, and a very special thank you to two people for whom this is their last Sunday with us here at GPC after about four years, and that's Shannon and Aaron Redburn, who have been part of our music program. They've helped our children in our children's music department. They have been such a vital part of our family of faith 
for four years, and they have edified our worship in so many ways, and so we're so grateful for them. They're moving back home for, to them, which is the Kansas City area. And so for your presence with us for these last four years, please hear our deep and heartfelt gratitude to you. Thank you. So we'll be in this format for one more week, which is the, the one 9.30 a.m. service. And then uh, starting on August the 15th, we will be back to two services, 8.30 and 11 o'clock in the morning with our Sunday school in between. Our evening worship at 6 o'clock will be back into whatever normal is, our normal routine around here. But I do want you to know that uh, church leadership, our COVID recovery and response team, We'll be meeting at some point this week. We're still trying to figure out the, the schedule on that. We understand there's lots of concerns about the Delta variant and uh, all, the, all the different questions that are just swirling in people's hearts and minds. And so that team will get an email soon about the right night this week to meet. Our session is also going to be thinking about it. Um, and if you have concerns, talk to me or other pastors. Talk to somebody on session uh, we know that there's so much going on in people's hearts and minds as we, we want to try to open up and get right back to normal, and yet there's concerns and advice and guidance from all kinds of different quarters. And so we're on top of it, and we know, <laughs> I discovered this, no matter what we do, we're going to displease everybody. <laughs> and it's not, it's not just that, oh, you're going to disappoint some people no matter what you do. It's going to be, there's something on all sides of all of this, so no matter what you do, you will disappoint everybody in one way or another. So prepare to be listened to and prepare to be disappointed, but prepare to also let us know that we're doing the best we can trying to make all these decisions, and of course, it's an ever-evolving situation. So anyway, pray, uh, pray for the corona team, session leaders, everybody. Pray for our church as we try to get back to whatever normal is as soon as possible. Last but not least, a moment of celebration for uh, David and Tara Martin. You'll see the rose on the baptismal font, and that is in honor of the birth of their grandchild, uh, Henry David Martin, born on July 21st to uh, their son Jacob Martin and his wife Hannah. And so you can celebrate with them, uh, send them a text or an email Pray for little Henry uh, David Martin this week. Pray a prayer of gratitude. Pray for his parents and his grandparents as we celebrate that birth. Those are all of our announcements now, friends. Let us prepare to worship God. God is holy and loving. God is gracious and good and strong. God alone is worthy of our praise. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. <clears throat> Sing to the Lord a new song for God. The Lord has done marvelous things. The Lord has made his salvation known. 
has revealed righteousness to the nations. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. First into jubilant song, music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King, let us worship God. Jesus came into the world to bring grace to sinners like us. Out of gratitude for God's mercy, let us confess our sin together. Let us pray. Mighty God, the fear of you is the beginning of wisdom, but we too often trust only in ourselves. Our judgment is so flawed and fickle, we stumble so often. We neglect the good, we abandon what is right. We cannot stand on our own merit because we are sinful. As we confess our moral weakness, we also cling to you, Jesus, as our only true hope. You are pure goodness, and we remember your life and your ways. Your way is the right way, and we pray that you would show us how to live today and always. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ's death on the cross reconciles us to God. His resurrection brings us new life in God's presence. I declare to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with the sign of God's peace. doing okay? Okay. Well, it's me and my friend Charlie this morning for the children's sermon, and I am so grateful that you were here, my friend. I'm so grateful for you that you were here, and I just want to ask you if you like swimming when it's really hot. You like swimming in the pool? Yeah, me too. I know it's so hot. Last week was so hot here, the temperature got to be over 100 degrees, and that is really hot. It makes me just want to lie down inside and take a nap all the time. I love to go to the beach. You're going to the beach. You're going to love the water. It's going to be hot at the beach, too, but you get to swim in the pool and the ocean. That's going to be great. So here's what I want to ask you about. I want to teach you a phrase this morning. It's called the dog days of summer. Have you ever heard of that? You have the dog days of summer. It's an expression that people around here use a lot to talk about how hot it is. And they'll say that now we're in August, August the 1st today, and people will say we're in the dog days of summer. So I want to show you a picture right here very quickly. Let me see if you know what this is. This picture right here, what's that? What's that There, that big orange-yellow ball up in the sky. It's a picture of the sun, right? There's a bunch of pictures of the sun, and that's what makes it so hot, right? That's a big picture of the sun. So there's the sun there, and we talk about being in the dog days of summer. Well, what I always thought was that the dog days of summer referred to what my dog likes to do when it's really hot outside. So I have a big brown dog at home. And this big brown dog whose name is Odom, he's a lab. And when it's really hot outside, all he wants to do is pant. And he goes and he drinks out of the water bowl. And you know what? All he wants to do is find a cool place like the tile floor in the kitchen to go to sleep. Just to take a nap because it's so hot and we're in the dog days of summer. What I didn't know until last, both of your dogs like to do that then. What I didn't know is that the dog days of summer actually refer to a constellation that's up in the sky. And it's called the Big Dog. Every dog has a great name. So this, the name of this constellation in the sky is called the Big Dog, the Major Dog. And so the Big Dog is a constellation. And in right now, between like July 3rd and August 11th, this constellation rises and sets with the sun... And so people way back in the ancient days used to say that when the dog days of summer came on, that's when the star in that constellation would rise with the sun and make it really hot for people. So we're in the dog days of summer. But what we believe as Jesus' followers is that God gives us the refreshment of his love. He gives us 
a place to lie down like the Psalms say beside still waters and that God takes care of us and protects us no matter what time of year it is and no matter how hot, cold, or anything else, God loves us and takes care of us. Will you pray with me? Let's say these words together. Okay, say, Dear God, thank you for today and thank you for summer. Thank you always for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Charlie. See you later. I think if I had to sit next to that big guy dressed as Batman, I'd run away screaming also. (laughs) Friends, let us pray. Holy God, we do come before you this morning knowing that you are our protector, you are our shield, you are our friend, O Lord. We pray that you would now be with us, that you would give us insight into your will and your ways. We know, God, that you have our best interests in mind, and so we pray for our minds and hearts to be filled with the knowledge and love of you through what we read and hear. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen. Our first reading this morning is a reading from uh, the Gospel of John. It's a perfectly appropriate reading. It's a great reading to have on a communion Sunday like today, this great lesson where Jesus He makes this comparison between himself and following him and coming to him and eating bread that satisfies. And so we have this from uh, John 6. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then that we may see it and believe in you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our second reading comes from the book of Ephesians. We are continuing in a sermon series from Ephesians And I'll read verses uh, 1 through 16 of chapter 4. Paul writes, 
I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive and he gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Do you remember when you were a teenager and you had these sort of juxtaposed realities that you were sleep-deprived and yet also craving sleep at the same time? I remember it like it was yesterday because I was one of those teenagers who would sleep on a Saturday morning until 10 at the earliest, more like 11 or noon, sometimes in the p.m. of that Saturday morning. I have a vivid memory of sleeping really late on one Saturday when my Louisiana grandfather was in town for a visit, and he had a certain kind of southernized expression that he used a lot to describe people who slept really late or people who weren't dependable, or if something like a TV didn't work like it should, then it was just no count. And that TV's broken. It's no count. You are so lazy and no count when you sleep that late, he said affectionately, I think. I knew what he meant, and I always wondered about the origin of that saying. What is the origin of the saying, no count? Did it mean that you couldn't be counted on? Sometimes for him, I think he meant that you're going to have nothing in your account if you are lazy and don't go to work. I think no count was his sort of northern Louisiana way of saying, affectionately, you are worthless. <laughs> if you do count, then you're worth something, right? All I knew is that I grew up and I didn't want to be in his eyes, no count, ever. What makes a person worth something? What makes a person worthy? Can somebody really be worth less? We have a term that we in our culture apply to people all the time. You see it a lot. We have a term we apply that's called your net worth. When you add up all of your assets in the ledger, 
the ledger of your monetary life. You add them all up and you come up with your net worth. What about your spiritual net worth? You add up your life and your deeds, your, your beliefs, your actions, maybe some of your regrets, your joys, mistakes. You add them all up. Are you in the black? Are you in the red? Does it work like that? Can you be spiritually rich? Can you be bankrupt? Can you be no count spiritually? It's fascinating to, to approach this passage from Ephesians 4. And we're continuing our summer series in Ephesians. And we come across, right at the very beginning, this word that Paul uses that says in a plea, be worthy. Be worthy. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling into which you have been called. So we jump right into this passage and we reflect on what it means to be worthy. Spiritual net worth or spiritual bankruptcy, spiritually rich toward God, as Jesus said. So I think when we jump into this passage, and it reflects a lot of other teachings of the New Testament, we find some things very quickly. First, we find some, some kind of bad news at first, or really just some sobering truth. And then we find some really good news, and then we find some even greater news. The bad news is, we will see, we find that we are worth a lot less spiritually than we want to make ourselves out to be. We are worth less than we estimate in God's eyes, and that's sometimes hard to hear. The good news is that because of who God is and on account of what Jesus has done, then we do count and we matter, and then we are worth everything to God. And then the great news is that we are not alone in our calling to live a worthy life. So let's think about this word worthy or worth and what it means as it comes down to us. It literally means, in its sort of original Germanic form, it literally means to become what you deserve. To become what you deserve. The outcome of your life is the result of the life you lead. It's basically another way of saying uh, you reap what you sow or the power of karma. You get what you deserve based on your behavior, what you've earned, good or bad, in the end. And if you look back at every culture, in every era of human history, in every society, on every continent, ancient, medieval, modern, there have been lists of virtues that have been written by great thinkers that describe what behaviors make you valuable, what make you worthy, what make you a valuable member of the society around you. Live by these values and you will be good, you will be rewarded by the world around you, by God or gods or the universe or forces or karma, whatever people believe in when those lists are written. So you go back to ancient Greece and you look at Aristotle's 12 virtues. Some of them are courage, temperance, which means moderation, generosity, patience, industry, hard work. Each virtue in Aristotle's system then helps us overcome a particular human vice like cowardice or anger, greed, sloth. Travel all the way around the world from ancient Greece, from the west to the east, and there ain't eight virtues that sprang out of Confucius's teachings within ancient Chinese culture. Family loyalty, sibling harmony, dedication to commitments, trustworthiness, courtesy, courage, conscientiousness, all these different values upon which so many Asian value systems have been built over the centuries. 
And then you can look at the Western world and some version of the seven deadly sins have been passed down from medieval culture into the Reformation, into the modern world. Gluttony, lust, wrath, sloth, those seven deadly sins. So I was here the other day thinking about this and the concept of worthiness and was at a whiteboard uh, here at the church and I started to think, what makes a person worthy in our day and age, in the 21st century? You can think a generation ago, Bill Bennett published the Book of Virtues, which a lot of people bought. Jordan Peterson has his 12 Rules for Life that's been on the bestseller list now for a few years. What makes someone good or worthy today? Is it that you love your family, provide for your dependents, that you coach your kids in little sports, that you are reliable and relatively honest, that you work hard, pay your taxes, drive safely and soberly, when you do eat, drink, and make merry, that it's all in moderation, that you care for the elderly, that you buy organic food in order to support local farmers, that you give to church and charity, that you vote in every election, that you have the correct social uh, values and opinions like opposing racism and having compassion for the poor and caring for the environment? Is that what it means to be virtuous and worthy in the 21st year of the 21st century in our culture? Well, that's my list. <laughs> Literally, I, I wrote out this list of what I think it means to be pretty good and virtuous in our day and age. And what I realized after I wrote that list was that I was describing myself. I was describing myself. Those are some of my standards. I think I'm all of those things, mostly, more so than not, with some exceptions. All of those are great ideals, I think, that I would endorse whether I live up to them or not. And here's what I bet. If you were standing in front of a whiteboard and were asked to make a list, that you would come up with a list of virtues or standards that probably describe your life and how you live and your beliefs and what you do or at least what you intend to do more often than not. So here's the problem. That we have as human beings this problem. All of us in every culture of all human history have a general moral sense, a general religious impulse in us. Sometimes it's called natural religion. Sometimes it's called innate morality. It's across cultures of all times in our human history. It basically says this. Do well and be good by your standards, which are probably some part of a larger agreed-upon standards in your culture, which are actually pretty much the same as every culture and every list. Do well by those standards, or at least try to, and then you will be worthy. You'll be good. And then religious people usually tack on to that, whether they're conscious about it or not. Religious people tack on to the end of that, and then God will bless me. And what we really mean is that then God owes me. Be good, and God owes you. God owes you blessings, health, happiness. God owes you at least more happiness than sadness. And then here's the big one. If you are good, or at least try to be, then God owes you heaven when you die. Be good or more good than bad, and you go to heaven when you die. That's what most people in all cultures, in all human history, from way back then to all the way now, that's what it's including in our own day and age, including right here in Germantown, Tennessee. Be good, or at least try, at least have more good than bad in the final accounting ledger of your life, and God will reward you now, and especially in eternity. The problem is that's not the message of the gospel. 
And it's not the message of the New Testament, Jesus' teachings. It's not even the message of the Old Testament. They teach all something different. The Bible's teaching on what makes a person worthy is very different from American middle-class quasi-religious beliefs that are all around us. The gospel and the cross demand, demand that we be completely honest with ourselves and about our worthiness in relation to God and our worthiness in relation to each other and what we really deserve. Until we really tackle and understand and comprehend that through our sin we are dead and worthless to God, then we will deceive ourselves. Until we really believe in the cross and the resurrection and what really makes us live, then we will trick ourselves into believing that we are generally just pretty good overall and that God owes us. Part of the gospel means dealing soberly with your spiritual bankruptcy toward God, that we are all sinners and that we are owed nothing from the holy and righteous God from whom we have chosen to walk away. Heard a great story, a powerful story the other day about a man named Yehiel Denur who testified in 1962 at the Nuremberg trials against Adolf Eichmann. Some of you may have read some of Yehiel Denur's work. He became a great writer, accomplished writer after the war. He was born in Poland and was Jewish. And for two years, the last two years of World War II, spent those two years in that just deadly evil place of Auschwitz. He witnessed and experienced just unspeakable evil. And it was all designed and executed at the orders of Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann, you may know, was again one of the main generals who oversaw the Holocaust, the final solution, as he called it, against the Jews. During Eichmann's trial in Nuremberg, and this is 15 years after the end of the war, Yehiel Denur was brought in to testify against Eichmann. And when he testified and looked over at Denur and looked over at Eichmann, Denur just fainted and, and collapsed. And I couldn't understand what they were saying, but I watched a YouTube clip of this on Friday. Now, 20 years later, in February of 1983, Mike Wallace was interviewing Yehiel Denur on 60 Minutes and asked him, why did you faint? And Wallace said it must have been, he thought, because seeing Eichmann brought back so many painful memories for Denur. All that trauma, all those memories. Did he faint because he was just in the presence again of pure evil? No, said Denur. When I saw him, I wasn't afraid of him. I was afraid of myself. I was afraid of myself. He realized that he wasn't looking at some kind of deranged, evil monster. He was a person just like me. I fainted because I realized that I was just as capable of doing what he did. Eichmann is in all of us. You see, we are good at deluding ourselves into believing that deep down we are actually kind of virtuous and good, and, and we just do some bad things every now and then, when the reality is that there is real sin and evil deep down inside and all around each one of us, that we are all capable of being an Eichmann. The hymn doesn't say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a really worthy person like me. No, sin makes us wretches, all of us. That's the sobering truth. You ready for some good news now? <laughs> Here it is. 
even though we were dead to God through sin and worthless. God's grace changes everything. God doesn't owe us a thing, but God gives us everything anyway. Mercy and forgiveness and and love and a new kind of righteousness, a new start, a new life, a new calling, an eternity that we are not worthy of but receive anyway because we follow Christ. On account of Jesus, we are no longer no count. You, You count so much and you matter to God so much. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ prove how much God values us. Through Christ and His grace, we are worthy in God's eyes now. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what somebody else has done to you by their evil, you are priceless in God's eyes. You are a treasure to God. So then this this New Testament lesson picks up right here, and it says this. It says, Okay, friends, by God's grace, you have been called into a new way of life, a way of life that's away from that life when you were dead to sin, sin and worthless. Here is the really good news for all of us. By grace, God has called you into a new way of living. You are now someone, and you are good. God's grace changes everything. It does. By God's grace, you've been called into a new way of discipleship. And then the really good news that follows after that is the really good news is that none of us are on our own in this calling because you can't walk this life worthy of the calling alone. It requires other disciples. It requires other people. It requires people to walk this journey with you. You are not alone in your calling. We do not live our lives of discipleship by ourselves. You see, these verses in Ephesians are part of a, of a larger theme where Paul is defining what life in the church is like. What life is like in a community of faith of people who willingly and, and gladly join their lives to each other like all the parts of a body are joined together. Our mutual life together in the body of Christ, it, it's just meant to be an appetizer. It is meant to use in some older language, it's meant to be a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. When we are together as a church, when we are faith, we get a glimpse of what life in heaven is like with, with worship first and foremost, with beautiful singing first and foremost, and mutual love and forgiveness and support and friendship in Christ. GPC is a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven, working with each other in humility and gentleness and patience, especially during a pandemic, maintaining unity by the power of the Spirit, We have a little taste of heaven right here in this sacrament this morning. Now, I know, I know, I know that there are all kinds of weaknesses that are still grounded in us because of our sinful humanity. It is true. I know that perhaps you sat through a a two-hour committee meeting in leadership here and you thought to yourself that this is not at all a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps it's exact opposite. I know that we let each other down sometimes. I know that your ministers let you down sometimes, maybe vice versa. I know that staff don't always meet your expectations and that staff make mistakes and that staff are always learning how to be better. I know that members disappoint each other sometimes, sometimes painfully. I know we have some visitors here this morning, and you're wondering about GPC as a new church home for you, perhaps. I just want to lay the honest truth out before you. 
But then here's the good news, and it's just great truth, that despite ourselves and who we are, God is still graceful to us. God still calls us to a new way of discipleship living, and God is building us up one by one, building us up all together into a new body, a place of healing and teaching and loving. God is building us up as a group, as a body of believers through our mistakes and through our inexperience. God is still building us up and equipping all of us as saints for the work of ministry. The Spirit of Christ is at work here in these walls, friends. It's here in this body of Christ And it will be at work until, as Paul writes at the end of this reading, until all of us come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity and the measure of the full stature of Christ. Until that happens, God will continue to be at work among us. God has changed us from no count to priceless. So let us live a life worthy of our calling and let us do it together as a body of Christ. Amen. My friends, we've been blessed to hear God's word read and proclaimed to us. And now we have an opportunity to give back, to give to the work of the church called into being by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so if you're worshiping with us online, I invite you to go to the giving tab. And there you can find all kinds of ways to participate in the life of GPC through your giving. And if you're here with us in person, We're going to pass the trays this morning, I believe, and uh, so we invite you to participate in the giving in that way. Let us give with great joy and great generosity. Thank you.
My friends, here we are in this beautiful space. We are so honored to worship and glorify God's holy name here. And it's as if this were the only place, and we the only people, Jesus Christ would meet us right here. For this is the table of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not the table of this church, but it is his table. And it is Christ who invites you here, for it is Christ that will make this very ordinary table very special. It is here where he will meet us. It is here that he wants us to be made whole. It is here that he invites us all to come, those who have strong faith and those who question their faith, those who have tried for a long, long time to follow Jesus and those who follow Jesus every day faithfully in your lives. Every single one of us is invited here to this table this morning. Let us turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our Creator, you formed us in your image. You loved us with an everlasting love. You graced us with gifts for service, and so we praise you and give you our thanks and praise. By your Holy Spirit, unite us with the living Christ and with all who are baptized in his name, that we may be one in ministry in every time and place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, we pray that we may be the body of Christ in all the world. We lift up to you in prayer this morning. Leaders everywhere, may each one seek your wisdom as they discern each action they will take and each word they will speak. We lift up to you in prayer. Those who are sick this day, those who are struggling with any kind of affliction or malady, those who are grieving, who feel isolated and alone, those who might be anxious and fearful this morning, those who are enduring storms of nature and in their own lives. We pray, too, for those near and dear to us, our family and our friends. For all of these, holy God, may each one be blessed by your graciousness and be granted your peace. May their every need for this day be provided for them. Remembering your faithfulness, mercy, and mighty acts, we Take this ordinary bread and this cup from the gifts that you have given to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out upon them as we celebrate with great joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. By your Spirit, make us one people, one voice as we seek to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let our lives shine with Christ's light, be a blessing of joy to the living, a beacon of hope to the dying, dawning of a new creation. 
All this we pray to you, O God, through the gift of your Spirit and in the grace of your Word and to the glory of your holy name. And now let us listen as the words of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples are sung to us. was betrayed, he shared a meal with his closest friends, his disciples, and during the meal, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to God for the bread, and he broke it open, saying, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me.
And in a similar way, after they had eaten, Jesus took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink of it, all of you, and remember me. A little later on, the Apostle Paul reminds us that every time we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for us, the people of God. Amen. I invite you to join me as we raise the bread together body of Christ broken for you.
God, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty of this day and for inviting us again, despite the facts that we are never going to be good enough to earn your grace. We thank you that nevertheless, your love pushes through all obstacles and finds us in the far country of our own design and brings us home. As we have partaken of these ordinary elements, we're reminded that you prefer to work through the everyday, the ordinary, the often overlooked, to be vessels and agents of your transforming grace. So empower us, Lord, through this gift, this meal of heaven, to go energized and renewed from this place into the mission field that is our lives. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. Dear Christian friends, keep alert, stand firm, be courageous and strong, and let everything you do be done in love. And so go now out into this world to love and serve the Lord, and to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen. Amen.